Well guys, good morning. We are week two of a series called Holy Ghost Stories. And so let me briefly recap last week. Well, we learned that from Jesus that the Holy Spirit living in us is greater than Jesus with us. And even Jesus knew and he wanted his followers to know that, listen, me going is a good thing. The Holy Spirit is going to come and he's going to be able to do things that I can't do. Think about this. Jesus was not able to be everywhere at the same place. He couldn't uh, think of all the people in the world. He was not able to spend time with all of followers. He was not able to do that. He was limited in being 100% man and 100% God. Being man limited what he could do. So he's like, man, it's better that the Holy Spirit come. So this week, we're going to see that the Holy Spirit changes us. The Holy Spirit changes you and changes me. And we're going to learn more about the Holy Spirit. And our big takeaway should be that Holy Spirit is God's personal presence bringing dead things to life. So let's jump in. Like last week, I want to start off with letting you know that up front that I don't know everything about God, the Father, God, the Son, and God, the Spirit. I just don't know everything there is to know about God. But what I do know comes from you know, following Jesus for over 25 years, being in college and seminary for six years, learning through the stories uh, from people that I've had a time you know, to converse with and talk about their experience with God, and then also asking God to reveal more of himself through his word and through circumstances. Now, it's interesting that as we dig more into uh, the Bible, we, we hear from Moses, and Moses points out to us this, the Lord our God has secrets known to no one. God has secrets. God keeps things from you and he keeps things from me. And you may be offended by that. I, I know that there was a time that I was offended by that as I'm trying to learn more about him. It's like, okay, why are you keeping things from us? But then I've come to appreciate that. I believe that's an act of compassion that he doesn't tell us everything. I think it's a good thing that he doesn't do that because we're not ready for it. I know at times I'm not ready for it. I know I'm sure you would say the same thing. If you're a parent, you probably understand this. A teacher and a coach, I'm sure, would understand this as well. We don't always tell our kids everything. We, we keep things from them because they're not emo emotionally intelligent enough to handle it or they're not able to take the information and apply it like they, like they ought to. This doesn't make you a bad parent. That doesn't make you a bad coach or teacher. That just... We just They're just not ready to receive it. They're not ready to take on that information and apply it. So the bottom line is there's going to be some tension. The fact that God keeps some secrets from us, but he does reveal other things to us. Notice what else Moses points out. We are not accountable for those secrets. No, but we and our children are accountable forever for all that he has revealed to us. So God has made some things known to you and me. And the reason why he's made think some things known to us is that those things will lead to the better, fulfilled, satisfied, abundant life that he promises. And so when I apply the information that he provides for us, that leads to the life that he promises, a life that is fulfilling, a life that is satisfying, and a life that is abundant. So as we move into this series, there's going to be some tension, the fact that we just don't know everything. All right, we're going to have to live in that tension. 
Okay, so remember last week how we imagined that we were the followers of Jesus, that we were students in the back then? Um, whether you imagine that you were Mary Magdalene or maybe John or maybe Peter or maybe Joanna, whoever you decide to be, let's imagine once again that we're with Jesus. And the things that he's teaching is a lot different than the things that we grew up learning. See, we grew up learning on Saturday in the synagogue, maybe through the stories our parents told us about when the Holy Spirit would rest on people in the Old Testament, people like Joseph and Moses and David and Samson. God did some really incredible things through those people. He did some incredible things. And they're like heroes, right, to us. Man, if, if I could be like that, even though they weren't perfect, but man, they did some incredible things. Then all of a sudden, imagine what you're thinking when Jesus does this. He breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, you go from being the people you want to be to actually being those. And instead of the Holy Spirit just resting on you, the Holy Spirit is now in you. And so, just like the disciples, they had to learn with this. They had to learn this new way of life. And they had to grow and develop this relationship with the Holy Spirit. There are a few things that you and I can learn as we develop this relationship with the Holy Spirit. The very first thing that you and I can learn is that the Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is God. We have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. Now we can go all the way back to the Old Testament Book one, chapter one, the Holy Spirit is present. The Holy Spirit's active in creating the earth that we live on. Notice what Moses writes. The earth was formless and empty and darkness covered the deep water, so it was chaotic. Then the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the water. And, and the reason why we have the cosmos and we don't have just chaos is because the Holy Spirit brought order. He brought order. He turned something that was chaotic into life and order and beauty. But when sin came, it was at war with what the Holy Spirit did. It was at war with life and beauty and order. So not only was he present and active in creating, but he's still active by giving life and sustaining life. The reason why you are here. And you continue to be here is because of God, the Spirit. Now, Job, whether he wrote this or whether someone else interviewed him and wrote this on his behalf, this is what Job said. For the Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. So even way back then, Job, there was an understanding that I live and I breathe because of God. We have systems, we have processes because of him. Our bodies are systems of order and life. So this may sound really weird, but I, I need you to do something together with me. I want us to take a deep breath. So on the count of three, let's take a deep breath together. One, two, three. Good. Now, let's think about a baby's first breath. Now, your first breath, my first breath, miraculous. Before you were born, your lungs were filled with fluid. You never had to take a breath. Now, 
when you were born, your central nervous system reacts to the temperature and the environment. And it causes a reaction. And the reaction causes you to gasp. Your first breath can last between 1 to 10 seconds. Now, as a baby, you continue to breathe. And as you continue to breathe, the fluid in your lungs begin to dissipate as air comes through your nose and through your mouth. Now, we have even talked about the built-in system of breathing in oxygen and exhaling carbon dioxide. We haven't even talked about that. You know, the whole gas exchange. Now, let's do this one more time. Let's take another deep breath on the count of three. One, two, three. What are you thinking about now? What are you thinking about? I'm sure it was a lot different than when you were breathing before the service started. Now, I'm sure you're thinking about a little bit more on how all of that works. See, the term Job uses for breath was something that the Hebrews were referred to as the Holy Spirit. The word, the Hebrew word is rock, which means energy or spirit, wind or breath. Now, here, here's what's so fascinating. The energy in your body from breathing deeply is the same word used for God's spirit. So just as, um, just as when we breathe, it keeps us alive, it keeps us going, well, the Holy Spirit sustains all life. So our breath keeps us alive, the Holy Spirit sustains all life. Oh, the Holy Spirit is God's personal presence on earth. Okay. So, the Holy Spirit is God, number one. And number two, God the Holy Spirit is a person and presence. A personal presence. Okay. Now, I love Star Wars, and I got into it just a little bit ago. So, before the pandemic started, uh, we have a friend and he said, hey, are you watching The Mandalorian? And I'll say, I have no idea what you're talking about. It sounds cool, but I don't know what you're talking about. He's like, have you ever watched Star Wars? I said, I've never watched Star Wars. Like, I knew, like, of Darth Vader and, like, Luke Skywalker and the Force. Like, I knew about that stuff, but I just didn't know. I didn't know the storyline. I didn't know the, all the characters. And he said, would you mind watching it? I'm like, sure. So I spent a couple weeks going through in chronological order all of the Star Wars movies, and then end up watching The Mandalorian and really like the Star Wars theme and everything about it. I really like it. Now, you know about the Force. You have the good side and you have the dark side. Now, the Holy Spirit is nothing like the Force. That's really important. The Holy Spirit isn't a Force. It's a person. Now, notice what Jesus taught. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it's not looking for him and doesn't recognize him, but you know him because he lives with you now, because I'm with you. So the Spirit, Jesus' Spirit, would later be in them. As he says, he lives with you now and will later be in you. Jesus is clear. This is all about a relationship. The Holy Spirit is a person instead of a power that we can control um, from our own will. We, we can't will him to do things, but he is a person instead of a power. Now, it's really important that we can control and for our own will that he is a person. He's powerful. He is a person. Okay. The Holy Spirit is a person who has a personal relationship with every follower of Jesus. He'll give you gifts. 
that are used so we can continue Jesus' mission. Now, because he is a person, he has a mind and emotions. This is really important. Since he is a person, he has a mind and emotions. Now, let's lean into what Paul has to say. He says, and do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way that you live. If God created us with emotions and we're created in his image, it would make sense that he would have emotions. Like when you're in a relationship and someone hurts you, uh, you grieve, right? Like you're hurt. And the reason why you're hurt is because they hurt you. So you grieve. You have sorrow. You grieve. It's the same with the Holy Spirit. As we sin against God and as we sin against others or maybe our relationship with God is off because we're often of relationship with others because of hurt and because of wounds. Listen, the Holy Spirit is grieved. The Holy Spirit is grieved. I love what Francis Chan writes. He says, I believe that if we truly cared about the Holy Spirit's grief, there would be fewer fights, divorces, and splits in our churches. Maybe it's not due to a lack of belief, but rather a lack of concern. God the Spirit Holy Spirit is God. God the Spirit, right, is a personal presence. And number three, this is important, who changes us. Now, can you remember back when you made a decision to follow Jesus? You became a follower, you got saved or born again or whatever terminology we want to use. I remember back before I became a follower of Jesus. There are some things that I would nudge to do that I wouldn't have done on my own accord. All right, I, I felt this nudging. Uh, there were times that I picked up the Bible that I wouldn't have otherwise. There were times that I wanted to go to church. There were times where I felt like it was the wrong thing to do. I felt as times that I was doing something I needed to change what I was doing. And there are other times that I ended up calling somebody to pray. I would never have done that. Something was nudging me. It wasn't a nagging, it was a nudging. And we call that nudging conviction. Now notice what Jesus teaches. When he, the Spirit, comes, he will convict the world of its sin. That word convict, that nudging. And of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. So, the Holy Spirit is doing two things. Right now he is restraining evil from fully and completely corrupting the world. And he does it through the church. He does it through the home. He does it through governments. He does it through like law enforcement. While he's doing that, he's also convicting. He's revealing to individuals like you and me that, look, our sin's going to be dealt with if we don't accept what Jesus did for us. He dealt with our sin with his life. When we don't accept that, then that means that we have to deal with the consequences of our sin. And I remember uh, when I had that aha moment of, wow, God loved me enough that he wants a relationship with me, that he dealt with my sin through Jesus. Once I believed in Jesus' death and resurrection, I mean, my life was completely changed. Like something happened in me. We become a new creation. I love what Paul writes. He says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. 
The old life is gone. A new life has begun. And so when I become a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit resides in me, comes and lives with me, and changes me. That I'm no longer the same Jeff. That I was spiritually dead, now I'm spiritually alive, bringing dead things to life. He brought me to spiritual life. Oh my goodness. Now, a few things happens when the Holy Spirit lives in us and changes us. He lives in us permanently. He gives us a new a new nature and life. He baptizes us in God's family. So we're adopted into God's family and he seals us. Now, the word seal is, is pretty important because I think you and I can understand that. You know when people get engaged, you know, you have the man that gives the, the woman the engagement ring because he's showing, hey, I want you to know that I'm committed to you. We're gonna get we're gonna get this wedding done. We're gonna get it, we're gonna make it happen. Well, same similar custom happened when Paul was writing in the first century. And he was using this idea of seal to show that when we are born again, when we are saved, when we are rescued, we immediately become heirs of all that God has promised. That means heaven, that means the new earth, the new heavens, it means no death, no sickness, no cancer, no disease. It means that stuff. God gives us his spirit, the Holy Spirit, as a down payment for his commitment to someday give us all the other things he has promised. You remember how we said that relationships change us? We have those in our lives who make us better. We have those in our lives uh, who make us maybe a little softer, a little gentler. Um, we have those in our lives who uh, make us more patient. A parent, a kid, a best friend, a spouse, a coach, a teacher. Those relationships change us. It, they change you. They change me. See, change comes by doing two things. One, Investing time in that person or in that relationship and also being vulnerable in that relationship. That's how we experience change. Now, it should be no different than with the Holy Spirit. If there's any relationship that should and will change us, it's this one. It's this one with God the Spirit. Unlike our other relationships, we're dealing with God. We're dealing with God. This relationship with the Holy Spirit is the one that matters a hundred years from now because out of this relationship with the Holy Spirit, change spreads to all other relationships. What He is doing in me, how He is changing me, affects how I am as a husband, how I am as a dad, how I am as a coach, how I am as a pastor, how, I, how I am as a friend. What He does in me by living in me and changing me affects all the other relationships. Other people should see the change in me. So, I want you to ask this question. I want you to think about this. Who has been someone you've seen changed by the Holy Spirit? Now, over the years, I've seen things that have been dead be brought to life. I, I mean it. I've seen selfish husbands who are all about themselves turn to Christ and then they begin sacrificing for their wife and for their kids. It's incredible. 
like high capacity CEOs and military leaders were willing now to put their family ahead of themselves. It, 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 all because of Christ. All because of what the Holy Spirit was doing and changing them. I've seen abused women turn to Christ and they learn to forgive their abuser. I've seen men ravaged by drugs and alcohol. They turn to Christ and they find freedom from that type of dependence. I've seen teenagers attempt suicide. And then they turn to Christ and they are able to live in their new identity that is no longer about shame, but no, it's, it's freedom in Christ. I've seen people be on the, on the wrong side of hate and be able to forgive that person. A, a woman who was shot in the head by her husband. Men and women who were high up in leadership accused of something they did not do, but yet they treated that accuser with so much grace and so much integrity. Just have never seen anything like that, and, and it all goes back to the Holy Spirit changing them. So, as we think about people changed by the Spirit, it reminds me of this story that I want to share. Jacob D. Sejur was one of Jimmy Doolittle's raiders on Japan on April 18, 1942. Jacob was an atheist, believed in no God. And during the air attack, his plane was hit by enemy anti-aircraft bullets and he was forced to bail out. He was captured and imprisoned by the Japanese and he thought that his life was over. He saw two of his companions shot by a firing squad and he saw another die of slow starvation. He thought for sure he was next. During the long months of imprisonment, he pondered the question of why the Japanese hated him and why he hated them. He began to recall some of the things that he heard about in Christianity. Boldly, he asked the jailers to get him a Bible. And at first, they laughed. They mocked him. And then they warned him to stop making a nuisance of himself. But he kept asking. And in fact, he asked for a year and a half. In May 1944, a guard brought him a Bible. And this is what he said. Three weeks you have, three weeks, and then I take away. So, true to his word, three weeks the guard came back, took the Bible away, and Jacob never saw it again. However, in those three weeks of intense searching, meditating, and delving into the meaning of life and humanity's ultimate destiny, a change came about. Later, he was released from the prison and return home. In 1948, Jacob, his wife, and infant son were on their way back to Japan as missionaries. All because he asked for a Bible and a guard gave him one for three weeks. Jacob searched the scriptures and he found them. It goes back to the question. And you can even ask this question. How has God changed you? How has God the Spirit changed you? And think about this. Who has been someone you've seen changed by the Holy Spirit? So, how have you been changed? And who have you been? Who have you seen 
changed by God the Spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for an opportunity to learn more about you and learn about God the Spirit. Father, thank you for the opportunity to understand that you want us to be changed. Not only do you want the Holy Spirit living in us, but you want the Holy Spirit to change us. And change us, he does. We have a new nature. We have life. We're able to experience so much because of being brought to life spiritually. And so, Father, I ask that we would be willing to seek change, to seek change each and every day, that we become more and more like Jesus. And Holy Spirit, we ask that you help us do that. Father, I also want to pray for those who are resisting. Maybe they're resisting or maybe they're grieving the Holy Spirit right now by the way they've treated other people. And Father, I ask that you would allow them to seek forgiveness. I pray for those who are yet unsure about Jesus, about his death and resurrection and what it means to them. I ask that they would have the confidence to ask. They would have the confidence to read through the scriptures and recognize that they are a sinner but yet your love had Jesus come, shed his blood for their sin. And I ask that they would believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus and that they will be brought to life. In Jesus' name, amen.